Please keep your hymn books open as we want to turn to the back to Heidelberg Catechism, page 889. The back of your hymn book, 889. I'm going to read 94 and 95. And then we're going to open God's Word to Ezekiel chapter 6. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayers to saints or to other creatures. That I rightly know the only true God, trust Him alone. And look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently. And love, fear, and honor Him with all my heart. In short, that I renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way. 95, what is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed Himself in His Word. Now please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 6. Page 1,292 in the Pew Bibles. 1,292. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Then your altar shall be desolate, your incense altar shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me, by their eyes which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations, and they shall know that I am the Lord." I have not said in vain that I would bring this calamity upon them. Thus says the Lord God, pound your fists and stamp your feet and say, Alas, for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine." Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord 
when their slain are among their idols all around their altars on every high hill and, and all the, the mountaintops under every green tree and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So far, the reading of God's Word. <coughs> Thunderings, lightnings, the sound of a trumpet. It was an awesome event when the majestic God of Israel spoke at Mount Sinai. Brothers and sisters, what was the first thing that he said to the people? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. When the Lord came down upon the mount to address his people, the first thing he stated was that the Lord of the covenant demands exclusive devotion. He would not share his honor and glory with another. He demanded total and absolute allegiance. He wanted their hearts, their lives, their all. In the first commandment, the Lord laid the foundation for the entire law. He said, you shall flee all idolatry and you shall worship me alone. You shall have no other gods before me means you shall have no other gods before my face. No other gods in my presence. You shall have no other gods, period. I am the God who graciously delivered you out of the house of slavery and set you free. I am the God who liberated you, who rescued you from the oppression of Pharaoh. And now I call you to serve and worship me alone. I call you to devote your life to me, to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, to trust in me alone, to fear my holy name, and to submit to my will. The Lord called the nation of Israel to a life of complete loyalty and consecration to him. They were not to let anything come between them and their Lord. God's will was to be their guide and his glory their goal. The Lord had to be first in their thoughts, words, and deeds. He had to be first in their business, in their leisure, in their farms, in their friendships, in their family life. The God who delivered them from slavery had to be number one. If the Lord was number one, then they would be blessed in every way. All of God's wonderful covenant blessings would be granted to them. They would enjoy peace in the land flowing with milk and honey. Their enemies would fall before them and they would live in blessed fellowship with their God. The Lord said, if you worship, serve, and love me alone, I will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I will bless your offspring. I will bless your fields. I will bless your cattle. I will send rain upon your land. I will bless all the work of your hand. I will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. 
If Israel loved and worshipped Yahweh alone and glorified him, they would be enriched in every way. They would have a foretaste of heaven. Not only would they enjoy the gifts and benefits of the Lord, but they would find their greatest delight and satisfaction in the Lord himself. He would satisfy their spiritual hunger and quench their spiritual thirst. He would grant not only peace in the nation, but peace in their heart, soul, and mind. He would give them joy, contentment, and delight in himself. Congregation with such glorious promises. Who would ever think of forsaking the Lord for other gods? Who would ever trust in something or someone other than him? Who would ever have or invent something else in which to place our trust? To forsake the first commandment is to commit spiritual suicide. It's to sever one's communion with the living God, to forfeit fellowship with the source of love and life. And yet, brothers and sisters, this is the very sin that Israel repeatedly fell into throughout their history. They turned away from the one true God and showed affection for the gods of the nations. They insulted the one who loved them and showed honor to worthless images. The God who delivered and redeemed them was not given first place. And may I remind you that this is the tendency of the fallen human heart. Idolatry is common to man. Fallen sinners are inclined to turn away from the living God. Adam and Eve violated the first commandment in paradise and put Satan above God. And ever since that terrible day, idolatry has been the intrinsic problem of our wayward human hearts. All of humanity is inclined to idolatry. What is idolatry? What is idolatry? Idolatry is when something else other than the Lord has the upper place in our hearts. It's putting anything above God. It's when we give some person, thing, or object a first place in our affections. It's when we place our trust in something or someone other than the one true God revealed in Scripture. Well, congregation, in the sixth chapter of Ezekiel, we see God's denunciation of idolatry. From this chapter, I want us to consider first the folly of Judah and second, the fury of Jehovah. We'll spend the bulk of our time on point number one, the folly of Judah. We have seen that in the year 597, Ezekiel, along with many others, was led off from Jerusalem to Babylon. After five years living by the banks of the river Chebar, the Lord revealed himself to Ezekiel and appointed him as his messenger to a rebellious house. He was called to proclaim the word of the Lord to the captives in Babylon. In chapters 4 and 5, we saw that terrible, horrific curses that God was going to bring to Jerusalem. Within six years, within six years, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar would besiege the city and utterly destroy it. The inhabitants of Jerusalem would die of famine, disease, wild beasts, and the sword. 
As we come to chapter 6, we see a continuation of these predictions of doom and disaster for the nation. It is all due to the folly of Judah. Follow along with me, please, in your Bibles at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. Ezekiel had to turn his face toward the mountains of Israel as he proclaimed the word of the Lord. Go to verse 3. He had to say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. In the previous chapter, Ezekiel directed his words against Jerusalem, right? But now his words are against the entire land, the mountains, hills, ravines, and valleys. Every part of Judah is called to hear the word of the Lord. The mountains, hills, ravines, and valleys are addressed as the places where the shrines and altars stood. The land of Judah was dotted from one end to the other with altars and places for pagan worship. When the nation of Israel had first entered the promised land, the Lord told them to destroy those places. God said, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. Numbers 33, 52. Israel had to purge the land of all idolatry and utterly destroy all remnants of Canaanite worship. The land was God's land, and anything that stood in the place of God had to be abolished. Canaanite religions proclaimed false gods and a false gospel. Sadly, Israel did not remain faithful to God's command. As you know, after the death of Joshua and his generation, the people began to serve the Baals, right? They forsook the Lord and bowed before the gods of the people who were all around them. During the period of the judges, they repeatedly broke the first commandment. Then when kings were appointed over Israel, we read that Solomon was unfaithful to the Lord. When he was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel. Solomon foolishly violated the first commandment. Because of his idolatry, the Lord said, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of your son. After the death of Solomon, the kingdom was torn in two. And as you follow the history of the two kingdoms, you read a sad story of rebellion and unfaithfulness. In the history of Judah, there were several righteous kings and times of revival and reformation, but overall, it is a story of covenant-breaking and periods of great disobedience. The mountains, hills, ravines, and valleys became littered with altars and idols. Judah desecrated the first commandment. 
Congregation, what utter folly on the part of God's people. In verse 9 of Ezekiel 6, the Lord compared his relationship to Israel to that of a husband and wife. He had married Israel at Mount Sinai. He was her husband. He had wed Israel to himself, but his bride played the harlot with other gods. We read in verse 9b, have a look there, 9b, that God was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me, and by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. Brothers and sisters, have you ever known a situation in which a woman who has a faithful husband and several children one day decides to leave them all for the sake of another man? She breaks the vows that she made in marriage and commits adultery with another. She leaves her faithful husband, leaves the home that they have established, leaves all the blessings of a secure relationship for the sake of another man. When we see a woman leave a faithful husband and a secure relationship, we think to ourselves, what a foolish woman. What utter madness. Well, congregation, Judah was just such a woman. She had a faithful husband who supplied all her needs, a husband who loved her with a perfect love, a husband who was righteous, generous, and kind, but she left him for another man. Think for a moment of a woman who lives in a beautiful home. Her husband works hard and supplies all her needs. She has food on the table and all the clothing she needs. Her husband sees to it that she is well cared for. He's considerate and shows true love for his wife each and every day. He listens to her concerns and responds appropriately. He tends to her when she's sick. He gently nurses her back to health again. He cares for her in every way. Now, imagine a woman leaving such a man for someone with a criminal record who's unemployed and living in poverty. He has a reputation for being a hard, selfish, unloving, uncaring man. He lives in an old run-down shack, eats out of garbage cans and dumpsters and dresses in old rags. He's had several women before, but they all suffered because of his abusive character. He did not care for them, was not considerate and loving, and did not listen to their concerns or show them any affection. He ignored them. He ignored them when they were sick and told them to fend for themselves. Envision a woman leaving a loving, gentle, caring husband for such a man. She turns her back on her husband It commits adultery with someone who does not truly care for her. Brothers and sisters, that's what the nation of Judah did by leaving the Lord to serve idols. God said, they have an adulterous heart which has departed from me. They have played the harlot after their idols. The idols of the nations were worthless. They could not care for Judah and supply their needs. They could not provide a satisfying life. All the high places, altars, and idols of Judah were uncaring, unloving, unhelpful, deaf, and dumb, lifeless idols. 
prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 44, he describes the stupidity of idolatry. Remember that passage? The absolute stupidity of idolatry. He speaks of a craftsman who cuts down a tree. He uses some of it for firewood to cook his dinner, and then he makes a god out of the rest. Isaiah says he burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. Idolatry is not only sinful, it's also irrational and absurd utter stupidity. Brothers and sisters, what unbearable grief there is for a husband whose wife runs off with another man. What terrible sorrow he experiences when his wife spurns his love and turns to someone else. As a husband is crushed by the adultery of his wife, so we read in verse 9 that the Lord was crushed by the adulterous heart of Judah which departed from him. He was terribly grieved because they lusted after other gods. After all that he had done for them, delivering them from the slavery of Egypt, caring for them in the wilderness, bringing them into the promised land, giving them his prophets to proclaim the word, giving them his promises of the Messiah, proclaiming to them the gospel of salvation through the Christ. After all that he had done for them, how could they turn their back on him and play the harlot after their idols? Oh, the folly of Judah, turning away from a loving, righteous, generous, caring husband. But congregation, what about you and me? Aren't we often just as foolish? As the relationship between Judah and the Lord was like that of a husband and wife, so also the relationship between the church and the Lord is like that of husband and wife. He's our husband. We are his bride. But how often are we like an unfaithful wife who shows affection for another man? The questions I would ask you to consider are these. Is the Lord always number one in your life? Is he first in your thoughts, words, and deeds? Do you love, worship, serve, and trust him alone? Is he first in your affections and desires? Is his glory your primary concern? Are you willing to renounce all created things rather than go against God's will in any way? Do you love, fear, and honor him with your whole heart? Perhaps you don't bow before altars and idols made of wood and stone. Perhaps you don't kneel at places for pagan worship. You don't give attention to images of Baal or Molech. You don't burn incense on the high places. And yet, it's very possible that there are other gods in your life and that you are living in violation of the first commandment. The first commandment demands that God be first. When you put your girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, or family before God, aren't you guilty of idolatry? 
When you put your business or job before him, aren't you guilty? When you're so busy in your business that you have little time for prayer and study of Scripture, little time for other believers, then haven't you fallen into the snare of idolatry? When your time is consumed by entertainment, sports, or hobbies to the detriment of your spiritual growth, then aren't you breaking the first commandment? When you're addicted to your phone and social media so that it becomes more important to you than your relationship with God, or if you're more concerned about the likes and shares you get than you are the love of God, then aren't you guilty? When the improvement of your house and property takes first place in your life, then aren't you sinning against the first commandment? If style, fashion, and physical appearance are more critical to you than your appearance before God, then isn't there a problem? Girls, if you spend long periods of time before the mirror making sure that every hair is in place, but you have little time to spend with the Lord, then isn't there something wrong? If shopping becomes an obsession and you're constantly clicking through fashion websites, then isn't there something amiss? Or if you're unable to give up movies that are constantly making light of God's law and making light of sin, then isn't there something very wrong? If you're unable to give up movies that make light of fornication, adultery, swearing, and so on, then are you not guilty of idolatry? If you're retired and putting your trust in your savings plans, investments, or bank accounts, isn't there something wrong with that picture? You see, brothers and sisters, anything or any person that is a higher priority to you than God becomes an idol. The Lord must be front and center in all that we do. He must be first in our marriage, in our family, in our business, in our education. He must be more important to us than our sports, hobbies, work, entertainment, material possessions, or money. In Matthew 19, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him a question. Remember the question? Good teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus' reply seemed to be a rather strange one. He said to the rich young ruler, keep the commandments. The man said, which ones? Jesus responded by quoting five of the Ten Commandments. The young man said, all of these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Ever since he was a young boy, he had carefully observed the law of God. He thought his conduct was righteous. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard Jesus' words, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, what was Jesus saying to that rich young ruler? Was he endorsing salvation by works? Certainly not. By telling the young ruler to sell all that he had and give to the poor, Jesus was teaching him that he had not kept the commandments of God at all. In fact, he had not even passed the first commandment. 
When Jesus confronted this man with the choice between God and money, what did he choose? He chose riches. Jesus was saying to this man, Sir, you think that you have kept the commandments from your youth, but you didn't even make it past the first one. Your God is your wealth. Your money and material possessions are more important to you than your Lord. Jesus was saying, if you want eternal life, you must forsake your idolatry and put your trust in me alone. Put away all other gods and place your confidence in me. The real issue that Jesus presented was this. Who will be Lord in your life? Material wealth or me? To whom will you render primary devotion? To mammon or to me? Brothers and sisters, that is the issue that is also before you today. Who is Lord of your life? To whom will you render primary devotion? Whom will you trust and follow? Whom will you love? The young man departed from the presence of Jesus sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He loved his possessions more than he loved Jesus. He had other gods that were more important. He didn't consider himself an idolater, right? He didn't consider himself an idolater. He was a strict monotheist. There were no images, no pagan gods in his home. No, sir. But Jesus pointed out that, yes, he was an idolater. Yes, he was an idolater. It was his idolatry that kept him from following Jesus. He thought he kept the law, but he never made it past the first commandment. He didn't kneel before idols or burn incense to false gods, but he was nonetheless guilty of idolatry. Like his forefathers in the days of Ezekiel, he did not put God in first place, and he resembled an unfaithful wife. He was just as foolish as his forefathers. Congregation, how is it with you? Is Jesus Christ more important to you than anything or anyone else? Does he have first place in your heart? Jesus calls you to follow him, to lay aside anything that hinders you, and to trust in him alone. If other things are more important to you than he is, then the day will come when you will face the fury of Jehovah. Point number two. Isn't that really what Ezekiel is all about? The folly of Judah leads to the fury of Jehovah. God cannot stand idolatry. It's the greatest insult that the creature can offer to the Creator. In the law of Moses, death was the required penalty for idolatry. And that is precisely what we find in this chapter, death and destruction. In verses 3 through 7, at 11 to 14, the Lord said, I will bring a sword against you. And I will destroy your high places. I will destroy your altars. I will cast down your slain men before your idols. Go to verse 5, please. Go to verse 5. 
And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones all around your altars. The Lord said, because of your idolatry, your bodies will be scattered around the altars where you worshiped. Your idols cannot save and deliver you. Your bodies will be cast down and your bones scattered and your idols will do nothing to help you. The places for idolatrous worship that are bustling with activity will be silent. The bodies of the worshipers will be strewn across the land. The mountains, hills, ravines, and valleys will be covered with corpses. In verse 11, Ezekiel is instructed to pound his fists and stamp his feet because of the fury of the Lord that's coming upon Judah. The sentence of death is so horrible that his whole body is brought into action. The pounding of his fists and stamping of his feet symbolize the terrible danger for Judah. Sword, famine, pestilence, desolation, death, death, death. Bodies on the mountains, bodies on the hills, bodies under every green tree and under every thick oak. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate, yes, more desolate than the wilderness. After the Babylonian armies completed the massacre, Judah would be reduced to an empty wasteland. Why the death, destruction, famine, pestilence, and desolation? Because Judah was like a shameless woman who brought in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes. She ignored the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before my face. Congregation, the fury of the Lord that is depicted in this chapter is a warning to every church member today. John Calvin rightly said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols, a workshop that is perpetually a workshop that perpetually cranks out idols. Idolatry is completely natural to the fallen human heart. And therefore we need to heed Ezekiel's warning. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 5, for this you know that no idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, do not be deceived. Idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of God. Revelation 21, 8, idolaters shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. Revelation 22, 15, idolaters are outside the gates of the new Jerusalem. Outside. Outside. Brothers and sisters, the first commandment teaches us that we are hopelessly lost without Jesus Christ. We are idolaters. You are. I am. We are guilty. We do not always give God the first place in our hearts, lives, and affections. We're often like an adulterous wife who brings in an adulterer before her husband's very eyes. 
The Lord knows our warped priorities. He knows that he's not number one in our lives. He knows that our heart is so often divided. The only way that we can escape his eternal fury is by fleeing to Jesus Christ. He's the only man that ever lived who kept this commandment. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was entirely faithful. He was characterized by single-minded devotion. Although he lived in this sinful, fallen, idol-filled, adulterous world, he was never distracted, never yielded to temptation. He was never more devoted to anything or anyone other than God. If we flee to Jesus, we will find refuge. If our sins are laid on him and we are pardoned through him, we will be delivered in the day of his wrath. We will be like the remnant mentioned here. Look at verse 8. God said, yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword. The Lord kept a remnant in the days of Ezekiel, and he will keep a remnant until the very end. And so I remind you once again of your need for a Savior. You're unfaithful. You're a covenant breaker. You're an idolater. But Jesus Christ suffered and died for idolaters and covenant breakers. He bore the fury of the Lord on the cross so that idolaters like you and me can be entirely forgiven and redeemed. Then flee to him for mercy and grace. In him alone can we be freed from the curse of the law. Only then will you inherit the kingdom of God. Only then will you be admitted to the gates of the new Jerusalem. You will not be left outside. Flee to Calvary, and all the blessings of eternity are yours. Dear friends, theologians of the past have pointed out that merely rejecting idols is not adequate. Leaving here today saying, I'm going to reject them, isn't enough. We must replace them. We must replace them. The Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers spoke of the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. He meant that new or increased love for God is the only thing that drives idols from our hearts and enables us to put God in first place. Therefore, the gospel is the ultimate cure for idolatry. It fills our hearts with love for God, and it reminds us of his unfathomable compassion and grace in Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, when you discover that something has become more important to you than God, Look to the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. May the gospel renew our love for the Lord and drive the idols from our hearts. May each one of you say with the hymn writer, Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure. <laughs> 
thou art. Let us pray. Lord, as we read these words of the prophet Ezekiel penned so many years ago, Lord, in so many ways, it's like putting up a mirror before us because our hearts, too, are factories of idols. We confess before you this day that we don't put you in first place. You are not our supreme joy. We so often turn to those things that would destroy us we're so often like an unfaithful wife, turning away from a kind, gracious, benevolent, loving husband, turning to another man. Dear God, forgive us, we pray. Direct us to the Lord Jesus Christ, each and every one of us, the one who kept the first commandment, the one whose righteousness we so desperately need. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't merely reject all idols, but that, Lord, we would, we would be those who replace them. We pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with love. The idols would be driven out We pray, Lord, that each and every one here would be so gripped by the power of the gospel that we would despise sin and live for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear the songs that we offer to you as we conclude this service. Accept our praise and our thanksgiving for our redemption. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.